0: Hi, this is Practice in Place, Law and Justice Go Viral, a podcast that asks the question, how does a profession governed by precedent respond to the unprecedented? Practice in Place investigates how the practice of law and the administration of justice have adapted under the abrupt constraints of the COVID-19 era, how that has affected how and whether we achieve justice, and how those changes and that experience might, or should, change the practice, the profession, and its procedures forever. I'm Susie Solman, clinical professor of law and director of the Legal Writing Program at the University of Arizona's James E. Rogers College of Law. I'll be your host. In law school clinics, very small teams of students as few as three to five, perform legal work under the close supervision of faculty attorneys and veteran practitioners. This dynamic gives the clinic supervisor a unique opportunity to engage in a sort of meta-analysis of the act of lawyering. And in turn, of how the shelter-in-place orders have impacted lawyering in ways both expected and unexpected. In this episode, I talked to Professor Paul Bennett, the Director of Clinics at U Arizona Law. He's also the director of the college's Child and Family Law Clinic. In that latter role, he supervises students who are getting hands-on experience representing clients in legal proceedings. Students in the Child and Family Law Clinic primarily provide individual representation for children who are the subjects of child protection proceedings, also referred to as dependencies, in Pima County Juvenile Court. Professor Bennett also directs all of the college's clinical programs, which provide students with hands-on client representation experience and provide assistance to people who might not otherwise have access to legal representation. Professor Bennett has been involved in clinical legal education for over 25 years. The attorney-client relationship is one of trust and confidence. So often attorneys meet clients at rough times in those clients' lives. They're in crisis, they're vulnerable, they're at risk. They're looking for someone to be in their corner, to safeguard their interests, to fight for them. For an attorney-client relationship to succeed, often the client needs to open up and share information that's painful, distressing, deeply personal. That's difficult enough under ordinary circumstances, but how do you build that relationship and that trust when you can't meet face-to-face? Here's Professor Bennett.
1: We're trying to, I mean, the thing we stress in, in my clinic in particular, but I think in all of them, are client relations, mm-hmm. being there for your clients, being responsive to your clients, um, understanding your clients. And it's, it's so much harder when you just can't sit in a room with them. Right. Yeah. The room with the child that we were, this year was the year of uh, slime. Yes. We've been sliming with all the kids <laughs> and it uh, doesn't matter what their age is, apparently. Um, but you know that that kind of connecting is is gone, um, so you have to come up with different ways of doing it
0: mm-hmm.
1: for our younger kids, this has no meaning you know for two year old or one year old
0: you know, right
1: we can't we can't even see how they're doing really for the older kids it uh, it's okay, but they especially need a sense of privacy and If they're in a foster home and they're on the foster home computer, or we're trying to connect with them in some way where we there's other people walking around or listening, normally I'd say let's go in the backyard and chat,
0: talk,
1: or even go in their room. Um, We can't do that, so we have to figure out other ways to do that. Um, In the child welfare world, the strangest thing is we're the only people they can talk to. Who doesn't have to report they say to somebody else
0: okay right because you're yeah they're having
1: a problem and they don't want people to know about it they just want to talk about it we can talk don't have to report it um for some clinics it's uh probably the way we should operate anyway you know we're um when we do appellate work good electronic filing we talk to each other we send writing back and forth um we can still meet with our clients but it's not it's not the same because you're record is set in stone.
0: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: For some, I imagine, I haven't talked to Heather yet about it, but I imagine working at tribal clinics, they're already used to working a little bit at the distance. Mm -hmm. Um, So they're developing those skills a little more, but obviously the personal touch still matters.
0: Professor Bennett also reflected on how the challenges of telephonic hearings provided an incentive for the lawyers to meet and confer in advance to try and resolve issues and arrive at consensus.
1: The hearings are a little more perfunctory. There's more pressure, and I think we've succeeded with that, to talk about stuff before we walk in that courtroom with the other side. Mm-hmm. Because on the phone, not I can get anything done, um, we're just not going to argue out a point. The judge can't understand us. The um, judge can't assess credibility. Uh, so we've actually set up Zoom meetings now in a number of cases three or four days before the hearing and ironed out an awful lot of issues that we, I wish we had done that years ago. You know, let's just sit and talk. And that's, that's our Zoom invite. Hey, we've got a hearing this week. Uh, can we just sit and talk? And I found it great it's really worked well. And it's probably something attorneys should do anyway, but when you're busy and hyped up, we haven't been doing it.
0: Mm-hmm. The pandemic pause also had some unexpected upsides.
1: If this makes any sense, I have more time because I'm not driving back and forth to the courthouse. No. We're not going downtown to file papers. I mean. I, obviously we need to enhance our electronic filing, especially in family court. But um, I probably in the car an hour and a quarter a day, you know, that's a full day a week at the end of the week that I now have that I didn't have before. And uh, I was really surprised that wow, I get, I get time to actually sit and do this. You know? That's cool.
0: <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Unexpected upside. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it sounds like some of the upsides are, you know, cases are maybe resolving through negotiation rather than going to hearing because the hearings are so difficult. But, but what about when the hearings do go? Can you tell me a little bit about um, how that has changed, sort of the timeline of that changing and um, what those hearings are like?
1: They're really hard. I imagine they're really hard for the judges. There's, we haven't had a highly contested fact hearing yet. I've got mm-hmm. one coming up on Wednesday. And the state is already talking about trying to put it over for a couple months Do we can do it in person, except I don't know if we'll be able to do it in a couple of months either. Mm-hmm. So what it's forced us to do, which I think has been positive, is uh, prepare a lot more in advance, do a lot more paperwork. Um, I'm in juvenile court where motion practice is pretty small. It's just file a motion and get to it and argue it but we're submitting papers now a few days in advance for the judges to read so we're not we're not trying to present anything new to the court as much as possible as little new um, that they can't look at beforehand uh and again that's probably stuff we should have been doing all along but i think it's it's going to force us to be more efficient um to get to things earlier to help judges before we walk in that room understand what we're going to be asking for so we're going to be doing a lot more writing <laughs> in, in a court that thrives on not writing we're going to be doing a lot more writing
0: And do you think even after we go back to normal whatever that looks like that well the
1: funny thing is when i first got here that's what we did and it outraged people we would submit child reports a week before a hearing and they were Upset, saying there's no provision for that in the rules, and I would say there's nothing against it. Um, no, I think I want to continue doing that. I think it makes us better lawyers.
0: Do you think the rules might change?
1: Um, yeah, well, the rules of our A change. I mean, some things we can't do. We just physically we can't do. But I mean,
0: permanently, our, like going forward. Do you think the rules? Um,
1: no, I, I don't think we ever did anything that wasn't in the rules. We just did some things that there was no rule against.
0: Right, that weren't required, and, and
1: now happened. we're just. I'm convinced. We're gonna do that. We're gonna go back to what we used to do 20 years ago and we're gonna write a memorandum before every single hearing we do and just out a report from the child's attorney. Um, the rules have changed that allow the state much more leeway in doing that themselves. And so I think it's a hard argument for anybody to make, well, we can't do it too. So I think we will. Um, I think it makes us better lawyers. We're more organized. The judge has a sense of what we're trying to do
0: So writing makes you better lawyers? Huh. Professor Bennett also reflected on the potential benefits and the risks of touching base with clients via teleconferencing rather than in person.
1: We have to figure out a way to better relate to our clients. Um, So we'll probably see them more often. We used to to be intrusive because, you know, three people would come over to the house um, now maybe instead of doing that once a month or twice a month, we'll do that every week, but it'll be on, it'll be shorter and it'll be zoomish or on the phone. Um, so people will, we won't be intruding into the foster family's life as much. Um, and I, you know, hopefully that that will it'll change the nature of our relationship, but it'll make us a little more accessible to our clients and vice versa. Um, I'm still worried about privacy. I, there's no way to guarantee it anymore, right? I don't know if there's somebody else there, and I'm not to ask the question if there's somebody else there. Hey, is Foster mom looking over your shoulder? Accessing services for people is in flux, so almost every family we have needs some sort of therapeutic services in some some milieu, whether it be domestic violence or drugs or or just plain anger or or trauma. Um, we need to we probably will now push harder to make sure that we're watching and that those things get done because they can fall between the cracks and we don't have luxury of checking in less often. Now we've got to make sure it's happening because it's, it's probably more difficult for the state to access those services. So we need to be on top of them to make sure they're doing it. We have a case going on right now where we attend every single child and family team meeting, and there's two or three a week because we have a real difficult situation for a child. And I'd say we're now really, really, really pushing the state. I'm not giving it more than two or three days to do what we used to give in three or four weeks because it wasn't getting done, and it needs to get done. You know, I mean, you try to do it with sugar. You know, Hey, you're really good at this. <laughs> I bet you can find a way to find something by next Monday. Right. Um, But even with that, they need to know we're watching. So we're watching more closely. Do
0: you think this is going to keep some things out of court, possibly? Make them resolve outside of court?
1: If you can, but you can't do that unless people understand the processes. Mm -hmm. Because they're going to feel like they're missing out. They're being short I mean... I'm not worried about rich people. This is so impacting poor people at a a just unbelievable level. Um, People who had jobs now don't, or they have less, um, they're they're worried about feeding their families. They can't get out. Um, School. I mean, we just have no clue how long-term this is going to impact our clients in ways that maybe make some problems less important than the new problem that was created by COVID. Uh, medical insurance, all of those things. And I think we're kind of maybe have to rethink our clinic offerings to be a little more responsive to community need. Um, Just beginning to think about that, but I think it's an important thing for us to think about.
0: Um, In terms of access to technology, I understand that in Pima County, there aren't any Zoom hearings, or at least not that I'm aware of with the court.
1: No. No, it's all been so far.
0: It's all been telephonic. Um, have there been issues that you're aware of uh, with people not being able to access technology um, to talk to their attorneys, to oh, sure. talk to their
1: kids? Without a doubt. Without a doubt. In fact, I got a call yesterday from a parent. We represent the parent's child. Right? What do I do? I can't get a hold of my lawyer um, because it's, you know, there's no, the non traditional ways aren't working for them. And I think it's family that have their own cell phones. So not everybody has money, not everybody has access, not everybody has internet. Uh, people live in rural areas may not have the kind of internet that would support this. You know, maybe they can do an email, but they can't do others. We I'm even seeing that in some of our students, in nice. class. You know, they they access Zoom over the phone instead. You know, so they're getting a different experience. Um, because these kinds of things, for a million different reasons, affect people more mm-hmm. Affect people with resources. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's not great. No. It's just one more thing that folks have to deal with.
0: Right. During a crisis, it's already disproportionately affecting people yeah. without resources.
1: Well, I mean, imagine, you know, I mean, I, I, I know I'm focusing a lot on family law, but I, I don't know why it would be any different from any other place. Um, you don't have a lot of money. You don't have resources. Your attorney's not going to the attorney's office. You can't meet them there. Um, for a lot of people, they don't feel safe even say meeting outside, you know, talking six feet away not like there's any privacy in that anyway. Right. Um, you know, we, we, we're adapting in ways that aren't pleasant. Um, you know, it's just, it's just like that. So some, some adaptations can be creative, uh, You know, would that every household had access to what I have access to, a nice internet setup, a laptop I can move around. Um, Yeah, that would be great, but it's just not, that's not what exists right now.
0: We also talked about the legal profession, the justice system, and the overall resistance to change, and how sometimes changes instigated by one crisis solve other problems as well.
1: And you're right about law. We're so conservative in the sense that what we did last week, if it worked, we're going to keep doing it. And, and a century later, we're still memos <laughs> demos that say, comes now, the plaintiff, a right. language that nobody even understands. Um, anything that forces us to rethink or relook at something, that's got to be a good thing. You know, a few years ago, um, the juvenile court detention facility was overwhelmed with kids. We had to build a new one.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We figured the place is going to be exploding within another 10 years. We're going to have to build another one. And then because of a different issue, because of racial disparities and putting kids in lockup, we started to look at why we're locking kids up and what's the purpose and, and came up with a different way of, of deciding whether the kids should be in detention or not. And now we're not even a third full because we realized we were locking up kids. We didn't need to lock up. Mm-hmm. Now, the impetus was we need to be fair racially and ethnically, but the end result is every kid benefits because we get to put them in places that are much better than a detention facility. So you just don't know. I've um, Shaking things up is not a bad idea. Um,
0: in terms of um, supervising students in the clinic and uh, what the students are doing, how has that changed?
1: I'm probably a better supervisor. This is really bad to say. Um, we're Zooming all the time. In fact, I can Zoom during hearings now. So w- literally where I used to have to whisper and shut the mic off, um, I pass a note. We, we keep our Zoom open while we're on the phone. Mm-hmm. We chat with each other. We can see each other. I can point to them, say object, you know, or whatever it may be. Um, so I'm probably more active as a supervisor now than I am when I'm sitting near them in a courtroom. Um, we've, we always had weekly meetings with students and student teams talk about their cases. So we're doing the same thing now. We're not changing that. Um, I'm fortunate that all of my students have the ability to access the internet. And, uh, and so we've been doing that.
0: As has been the case in so many of the conversations we've had with lawyers and judges, Professor Bennett kept circling back to the importance of human connection and building trust.
1: I remember uh, we had a couple of presentations earlier in the year about uh, artificial intelligence taking over and making certain decisions for us yeah. and, and I, I always feel like the curmudgeon in the room that the human touch matters a whole lot.
0: Yeah.
1: I not necessarily mean physical touch but just being able to be one-on-one with a person and, and get to know them a little bit and, and be a little bit off guard. I think that for me, I think that's the best part of my teaching. I also think it was the best part of my lawyering because I get to understand people a little better and maybe a better lawyer. Um, you know, that, that we're going to have to struggle to find that. I mean, I think we can because we have to, but it'll still be a struggle.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's hard. I, I remember in the meeting, you talking about the students playing like games on the computer with the kids and, um, you know, trying to find different ways to connect. And yeah, it's just really hard to, to figure that out.
1: Yeah, but that applies to every client you've ever had. You know, I, I mean, I, I never represent, well, I have represented an institution, but even then it was through a person.
0: Right. There's still a person somewhere that you're dealing with yeah. <laughs> or several people um, um, you have to build a rapport with and trust. And and yeah, yeah. And it's hard. I mean, I guess when you have an existing relationship, it might be easier, but I can't. I mean, if it's someone you're meeting for the first time, I can't even imagine.
1: And a lot of areas we practice that people have no particular reason to trust you, right. <laughs> you know, me as a lawyer. Right. I'm the person who is assigned to them. Right. You know? They didn't seek me out. I didn't seek them out. Uh, And building that trust is really important, critical, uh, but just a lot harder to do this way.
0: Right. Right. Um, In terms of uh, privilege issues, do you think there are going to be, I mean, I've been thinking about things that we've been doing in, you know, because there are exigent circumstances, um, and I've thought of them primarily in, in the criminal context, but just thinking about where, where you're talking to someone and you don't know if there's someone else, right? If there's a third party, that would break the privilege, right? I mean, do you think those issues are going to come up?
1: I hope not. Um, I think they're bound to in some ways, but I think, you know, to come on me to explain that to a client, I need to be alone with you. Yeah. We, we we're used to doing that anyway. Yeah. My world, you know, kid gets arrested, their parents want to be in the room with you when you talk to them. I'm sorry, that's not gonna happen. Yeah. You to your son or your daughter alone. Um it, it puts a little more pressure on us to to make sure about that, not assume anything.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um but yeah, yeah, it's out there. People could take advantage of it. Uh or the person who overhears does not realize I have to keep my mouth shut. Right. So they don't. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, as long as it's something we need to be aware of all the time anyway, but now I guess we have to be hyper-aware.
0: Yeah.
1: So even this kind of thing right now, yeah. uh, we get asked originally to record our classes. I'm not going to record the clinic class. We're going to talk about cases.
0: Sure. Yeah, you can't. Yeah. And
1: for somebody to accidentally see or look at in the cloud. We use a Waggonheim's been wonderful. We have a hip zoom we can use. Yeah, that sort of ultra secure when we talk to clients, and I think that that's a great thing. It's a great lesson for us. Yeah, you got to be vigilant.
0: Yeah. Um, Do you think going forward? I mean, who knows how this is going to pan out? Who knows how long or how frequently we'll have these periods of isolation or or lockdown over the next eighteen months to two years? I mean, it's really hard to say. So if this persists or recurs, this situation where we can't be in the same room with each other, um, are there any things that lawyers or law schools you think could be doing to educate the public, our future clients, the courts?
1: I think everybody. I mean, it starts with our students. Right. Prepare them for whatever world they're going to face. That's on us. So we need to understand how laws going to be practiced at every level. You know, I, I don't know how big laws are adjusting to this, but somebody at this school needs to know. So our students how that works.
0: That's what I'm hoping to find out through this podcast. So <laughs> yeah, um,
1: I don't I have a sense of you know how public defenders offices, legal services offices are gonna work. There's been some going in that direction anyway. Um, my old office in upstate New York now handles a lot of clients virtually because it covers a big rural area. Now they, they have like a little law mobile they set out and people can come to that, but, but the attorney may be somewhere else. Um, yeah, we'll have to learn how we'll always adapt to technology and we'll have to learn how to better adapt to that. Um, hopefully we don't use it as a substitute for what we can do person to person or as a way of creating shortcuts that, that aren't really shortcuts. They're they're shortchanging people. We don't want to be doing that in any way.
0: Professor Bennett also talked about the need to do a better job educating the public about the legal system and how it works, especially now when even litigants represented by counsel don't have their attorneys sitting right next to them.
1: I don't know how many times... You've been in a situation, but certainly I have, where I take a deep breath and explain to my client, here's what's going to happen in the, in the courtroom in the next 20 minutes. Um, even if it's relatively benign, they need to understand it. They need to be able to ask questions. They need to be able to feel free. But it will be even better if we kind of educate them in advance. Here's what the courtroom is. Here's who all these players are. Here's, how, here's, here's this whole adversarial notion? What does that mean? What does it mean I have to shut up and you get to do the talking, lawyer? I mean, all of those things will be exacerbated now. I mean, I've had a couple of hearings already where the client just speaks up. I don't understand, I don't understand. And they might've been able to talk to their lawyer to do it, but they can't, because they're in this big phone call. Um, and the judge kind of has to shut them up for a while, politely, but say, you know, your lawyer will speak for you. And imagine sitting there in that situation, not knowing what's going on, you can't even see who these people are. Um, we're going to have to educate the public about how it works. So they can at least vision and have a sense of who all these people are and how it works because those people are making decisions that affect them.
0: Right. Right. And will it will just be that much harder to understand what's going on and.
1: Maybe it'll force us to make the law a little more accessible as understandable, accessible.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Maybe hope. I mean, you know, one hopes that this is an opportunity to, to, to make positive changes, make lemonade out of lemons, as it were, but...
1: I hope so, and I hope we're part of that.
0: By serving a fraction of the unmet need for legal representation, and by providing hands-on lawyering experience for soon-to-be lawyers, Professor Bennett and other clinicians are among those on the leading edge of creating positive change in the profession and in the legal system. In our next episode, we'll talk about some other ways in which attorneys and legal organizations are working to create change and the opportunities and incentives presented by the current historical moment. Please look for future episodes of Practice in Place on the Arizona Law website at law.arizona.edu and wherever you listen to podcasts. We hope to continue providing a window into how the COVID-19 crisis has impacted our courts and the practice of law, and also sharing our insights into what the response to the crisis tells us about the past, present, and future of our courts and the legal profession. Until next time, thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.